0: But shall we at least ask both Leah and Joe to introduce themselves and tell us um, a little bit about where what your background is and um what you're involved with. So um yeah, if you want to start, Leah. Okay.
1: Um so by background, I'm an IT consultant. I am not quite sure how I found my way into heating and plumbing. Uh mainly because I was really interested in renewables and found someone who took the time to. I say took the time to train me up, uh, kind of dropped me in the deep end, running their business really, and I kind of learned that that, that way. Um, that was about ten years ago, and um, we parted ways. I realised I was running his business for him, and so then I started off uh, on my own with with a friend. So we now uh, install heat pumps, solar PV, solar thermal. EV chargers all those kind of bits and bobs and um, we're specifically set up to try and get more women into the into the industry something that we're making very slow work of, but um we are aspir- aspirational to get there that's a proper phrase but yeah
0: it is a Friday that's a sp- phrase that's <laughs> completely acceptable yeah
2: I think so <laughs> sounds incredible Mia. what's your what's your business called
0: we're called your energy your way that's really great we've been we're looking forward to getting in into that in more detail and Jo do you want to tell us about yourself some?
3: Yes, um, so I'm a, a charter surveyor. I still, still have my letters, but don't practice quite so heavily. Um, I set up a, a heating business with my ex-husband many years ago, um, and we ran that t- together for about 10 years, and then I ran it for two years on my own and then sold it. Um, and one of the most successful things about it was the website. So I used to write a lot, used to blog about things that no one was interested in telling the consumers about, um, about their boilers. And so it just sort of gained momentum and traffic over over many years. So when I sold the installation business, and we did do heat pumps and um, boilers and biomass boilers, and um, when I sold that, we kept the website and kind of tried to decide what to do with it. So its current form is its sort of second incarnation, but essentially um, the website's set up to help consumers um, get impartial advice around their heating systems. And so it can be... Making their boiler more efficient, which we're very um, very keen on. We don't want to see unnecessary scrappage around gas boilers, which is is, is the case at the moment. Um, we can help them do a feasibility for a heat pump, see if they're ready, what they need to do, um, and we can look at a sort of range of systems where they're looking to combine solar and PV and um, solar PV and a heat pump or. And, and just give them sensible advice really not, you know not to overspend not to overspec not to oversize um and and just keep it sensible but we also run a network of installers and and for me the delivery is is the biggest thing um it's uh it's all very well to give good advice but if you can't find someone that can actually deliver it you're kind of in a, the same cold attack that you've had bad advice so
0: I think that's um you've probably both touched on why we really wanted to speak to you um and there's a couple of things that you've said that I hope we'll have time to circle back on and um, particularly about heat pump ready and uh, the importance of delivery and also um engagement. But I thought we um we discussed about maybe having a an approach to our, our conversation today, which was around sort of systemic issues um related to accessibility. So if we maybe start um there, I think um Dan had very succinctly put out a few points um for
4: discussion. But um yeah I mean do we even need to start with the question? So it's just it's much bigger than that. Like there's no question that's going to lead in. Like, just looking at your backgrounds uh, and how uh, you talk about what you do, we were talking about, uh, oh, well, in fact, the thing you just mentioned there, uh, diversity. So you're making efforts to uh, try and introduce women or create opportunity for women to enter the industry. And, it's. I mean, it's a really interesting uh subject because it's something that people talk about in abstract terms but not necessarily practical terms and even if you're talking about it that makes sweet a fair difference because actually managing it that's that's it's only active efforts that will really make a difference you can set as many targets as you like but unless you're finding a way to follow through and change culture within an industry and on consumer side like particularly with something like plumbing uh I dare say the stacks of prejudice that folk encounter because like a <laughs> lady plumber, <laughs> really. <laughs> like uh it's a mixed
1: blessing, actually. It's a funny one. Um you get noticed and remembered, which is actually quite useful if you're running your own business. So that's quite handy. Um, you do have definitely a hurdle to overcome while people work out whether they think you really know what you're doing or you really know what you're talking about. Um, but I wouldn't say I wouldn't say there's enormous kind of automatic prejudice. There's just sort of a little bit of subconscious stuff going on in the back of most people's heads more than anything. And um yeah, it's it's not it's not terrible. It's just makes life a little bit harder work, I think. I um, and some customers really welcome it. They really like the fact that you're female and they feel you're less likely to rip them off, which is probably a bit of a gender stereotype in the other way, but...
4: (laughs) Well, something you can take advantage of. Yeah. Rinse them out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm curious about the... uh, It's attracting people to the industry, to work in the industry, Mm. which is a big barrier because, like, in such male-dominated environments, like, if you're working on New Build, like and you're doing the plumbing in those environments, it's hardcore. Uh, In retrofit, to scale, I dare say similar. Consumer side, uh, you know, one will anticipate prejudice. uh, And, you know, that's a a barrier to overcome in terms of uh, accessibility. And that is a systemic issue. You know, uh, it's not (laughs) one I tend to encounter, apart from (laughs) having an accident, that's about as bad as it gets for me.
0: Mm, it is a systemic issue. And I think even us, I mean, both Rachel and I are architects and even it's fine in, in the well, it's fine in the office, uh, depending on the office. Um, but immediately architects, <laughs> uh, but immediately <laughs> upon going on site, um, it's a different thing. And you are almost prepared for that in some ways. But the solutions to it um, are always about um, just this. The, the different steps that are involved in going on site those different moments making sure that you know your your the space caters for your presence so that can be any number of things um it can be in the facilities that are provided on site it can be just in the way that people speak to each other it can be in the language that's used like all those things you know it's not about um it's not about what, on the face of it, appear to be. How do you make it more accessible to women? Like, I think there was some pretty uh, ridiculous points made about a similar uh, debate had on Twitter, where somebody was trying to say, "Oh, it's all right, though. We've got pink in our branding." And we we're like, "Yeah, I think you're kind of missing the point here. That's not what creates a safe space, mate." Um, so it is, I think, about recognizing well what what things are inappropriate, what things are likely to make people feel uncomfortable, and what things are likely to like keep people. Away, no matter who we're talking about, because yes, it's important to get women in, but we're also vastly underrepresenting all other. Um, dare are we let is it minority groups? I don't think it's minority, but you know, it's just not like you said. I think the point is actively doing stuff, trying it, and not worrying about getting it wrong, just try, just try and make it accessible. I think there's not enough of that kind of going on, Duncan.
5: Yeah, I just wonder what uh, because. quite interested as to, if you look at the options young young kids have um, in school um, who who may not necessarily follow a university or, or sort of academic path in that way, what, what what work is there to be done or what work has been done? And, you know, looking at either heat installations, plumbing being a viable choice, and do uh, or is there a lot of work that I don't know about? Maybe there is, I guess, is that something that should be uh, promoted within schools about, look, this is a viable choice and it's a career in the same way that perhaps other you know, female gender um, uh, choices are being promoted just now, whether that be subliminally or not. But I just wonder if there's, what, what's the work that's going on? And, and I suppose the second question is, if we're all going to change careers at some point, although I think I've changed careers three times now, so how do you then, for, people, for women in later life to be given a choice or how, what has what been done that I suppose could, could make heat plumbing a viable choice there at a later stage?
3: I, I don't know directly what goes in in schools. I mean, if I think of my own two children, there certainly hasn't been any kind of intervention and, and one's at secondary school, maybe not quite old enough, and one's at primary school. Um I, I feel, and certainly around career change women, I think there's probably not enough support there from the women that i've spoken to who have who have managed to make the career change they've relied on husband and family for childcare and you know all those barriers that, that had to have a reduced income. Really struggled to um, get training and and sort of support. I had to live through a lot of misogyny in order to get that training and support. So I think what what does happen is probably quite piecemeal. Um, it probably better somewhere at some places than others. And I I personally feel that if we're quite serious about the transition to electric. Heating, um and we're also very serious about getting more women into the sector and changing the culture of that sector it has to be a sort of you know the sort of teacher recruitment campaign they did 10 years ago those who can teach I mean it has to be that kind of level of, of recruitment and supported education um and the, the handshakes you know here's some money up front to, to kind of get you through it and I, I don't see how it happens in any other way if we want to make a step change around this I don't know what you think Leah. Yeah, I would, I would
1: totally agree. Um, I think my feeling is that the best place to start is not with the youngsters because I just think there are so many, so many hurdles there at a teenage kind of age to getting people to stand out from the crowd and uh, do something that's different to, to all of their mates. I also think that it is a tough environment, and um, as an slightly older woman. I'm not gonna give my age away, but I'm well past being in my twenties or thirties, I'll give you that. Um it's slightly easier because when there's nonsense on site, I just speak to them like I'd speak to my two teenage sons and tell them to pack it in and stop being so stupid. Um I've got that kind of age and wisdom that enables me to do that. That's very, very hard when you're when you're much younger. So feels to me like the trailblazers need to be slightly older and I don't mean maybe not as old as me but sort of people in their, their 20s perhaps people who've been to university um, and you know they've ended up flipping burgers or serving coffee in Costa on the back of their arts degree doesn't mean
2: that they can't can't retrain and do something quite different um, I think one of the things that you've both touched on is this idea of like culture as well in terms of the industry, but I think, and we've also sort of talked about like safe spaces and accessibility. And I think that this also has like a sort of knock on effect to how members of the public are often treated by this industry. And I think like lots of us have probably had experiences where we've, I mean, I'm an architect, I don't understand how these systems work. And when you have a new boiler fitted, I I'm don't think that the, the sort of standard is really giving you any of the amount of information that you probably need and we've heard lots of stories um for example of um of previous guests who've had advice that's completely inappropriate and I think um it sounds like both of your organizations are sort of trying to tackle that problem from a sort of um customer facing sort of supportive um direction and this idea that you know you can aptly provide information i think joe you're fundamentally the reason why i've turned my boiler down to 60 degrees after your uh, twitter videos so i think that there's obviously this cultural transformation that needs to happen both for people working within this industry but also for how the industry communicates outwards to its clients
0: yeah but even the name of your company your heat your way that says something doesn't it it's great great name (laughs) Yes, I mean I do
3: I do think that. I, I think um culturally, and, and perhaps this is due to the legacy of um you know the gender imbalance, you know, less than one percent of engineer gas engineers are um women. So if you think that any any organize if you think of an organisation as being run by 95% men and a few women, that, that's going to be distorted over time, isn't it? And this, what is prioritised over time is distorted. So we have an industry that prioritises boiler sales, not lifespan of boiler or efficiency of boiler. And I think, I'm not saying women would have Cured that, but I think they'd have come in and said, well, "Hang on, you know w- w- what? What are we trying to do? I, you know, I want to do the right thing by my customer. If I think that this boiler would last longer or work more efficiently, um, then I, I probably would have put, put my hand up and and, and said something. And, and certainly, at ground level, grassroots level, but also at senior management level. And we have very few women in senior management level positions within um, within boiler companies, so that the culture is distorted from top to bottom. Um so I, I think women are needed to, 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 to redress that and, and think about what's important. Because certainly when Caroline and I arrived in this, and I don't, I've never fitted a boiler, you know, I just sort of arrived and by default of, of being married to my ex-husband who is a heating engineer and um, a bit like Leah, I don't quite know how he ended up here, you know, um, and, and we kind of looked on the industry impartially, objectively, without really too much... Um, inherent bias and thought well what on earth is going on how could we be working in a bit in a in a in an industry that, that that um operates in this way um and but more fundamentally to that how can it be different you know I, i'm not really one to sit by and moan really a long time about um things that are wrong but I, I do like to think well how can we come up with a solution there is always a solution to make it better and and when the um and when the appetite is there but it's they have no one to speak to. So the consumers want to know more, they want to have a better experience. They want to not be treated like I know best and, and you know, I'm just going to tell you how it is. Um, when you tap that, it releases everything. You know, everything then is, is sort of open for discussion. And and I think that really just comes from women, women being part of that discussion.
0: And it's the scalability of these changes as well that is sort of so important because it's so heartening to see companies and 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 trailblazers such as yourselves, and then you think, we want another like five thousand of each yeah. of like now. Yeah. Like, okay, we'll give you six months, and then we want those five yeah. thousand. That's as much time as we have to build this. and And I suppose what we're talking about are we're seeing the the symptoms of a bigger problem right so it's not just oh here I am on site and there aren't enough women right how what should we do go out on the street and get some more women here on this site that's we know that's really not where the big change is going to come from it's like where are the pressure points further back up that system to, to like to infiltrate those things I think as well it's about like how we talk about these types of roles and careers that they are and where they sit in our wider kind of societal needs so for example um we're effectively saying that anybody who can come into this sphere, particularly in the low carbon technologies and in the reducing of the, the re- demand reduction side of, of our industry, you're a climate hero, right? That's what you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Marry those potential roles and industries with the language around school strikes for the climate and, and that sort of, that, that sort of place. And you talk about that and you make it, part of that argument and Construction Scotland Innovation are doing things around how they deliver that training which make it sound so exciting like I keep going on about that recently these days but it's so exciting the way they're doing it with like you know using virtual reality and all those sorts of things and it's like that's you know I mean they're probably on TikTok as well for all I know like that's the way they're reaching that. I want to do it yeah. It's yeah I, I, I'm like smiling like a giddy schoolgirl every time I think of <laughs> it.
4: Yeah, Dan, you wanted to. A... Yeah, yeah. What points of access are there? Like looking for people who come outside, come from non-traditional user base, to put it in my vernacular. Uh yeah. You know, how, how can they get into this industry at this point? And all the other stuff that everyone said.
3: College. I mean, they can go to college
1: as
3: a mature student,
4: probably
1: got
4: a self-fund. Um someone's well, even as a... yeah. So go on. But I mean, I even it... as a mature student, like how do you know where to start with any of this? Like, is are there any points of access, any outreach points which might give people information about there is an opportunity here? Uh, like, I'm sure that there really is
1: an opportunity. Hmm. I, I'd, be that, I'd okay. be that stark about it. So imagine you are a 33-year-old who's had a reasonable career and has a lifestyle that fits on your career you've got to decide that you can afford to go back to college um you if you're really lucky you'll find someone really hard if you're a woman you'll find someone who will apprentice you Mm -hmm. so we have so many one-man bands in this industry and they are one-man bands and even kind of worse than that for a diversity perspective they're one-man bands with their wife or partner at home that does the books so you have to persuade that couple who have a pretty good business going that you as a female 33 year old are going to travel around in the husband's van all day being their apprentice right yeah that's you know that's not an easy sell um and then you've then got to persuade them to pay you a little bit of money and the apprentice wage is four pound 90 an hour even for the first year even if you're over 19 it's After the second, for the second year, if you're 19 or over, it goes up a little bit. You've got to live on that and you've got to go to college one day a week and travel around in this guy's van for the other four days. That's just not an entry point, is it?
5: Yeah, totally. And I think we've been talking about this sort of warning off the podcast for a while. I mean, this is where I think in, in terms of market-led approach, and everyone's going to grow in because I start on a bit market-led approach to things, but this is where you get to new structural problems. So we want to change out 20 million heating systems. And you're looking at a system just now, which, you know, is a, a steady system of replacement oilers, but not really strategically set up to start to train and develop people in a in a way towards a goal of zero carbon heating. Not, certainly not something that, I mean, what you really want to do is have government funded schemes where somebody can opt out for 24 months be funded to train and then be guaranteed some form of meaningful position after that otherwise you know who who's going to give up any career even if it's in Starbucks or costa to to without any without any guaranteed prospect of earning an income after it so
4: that's I've, I've interesting had... that we are going to have to look for there if there are no existing structures for that then there is opportunity to think wildly differently. Like we were talking about it with Katrina to the week about, uh, you know, how are you doing? How are you, where are you looking for non-traditional users? And we never got an answer out of her because we kept meandering into all sorts of different other subjects. But, uh, oh man, oh, that's got me racing because we've got a couple of clients who were on, on that sort of tip. Uh, and she's all up for it. So, if ladies, if you have any ideas for us, sing them our way. It's all about the cause.
5: But, but that, surely this is the I mean, I'm, 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 and we won't edit this out. But surely the Construction Scotland Innovation Course, and in here, surely there's a train the trainers, which is a focus on um, on what we've been talking about. You know, that's I think that's really exciting.
0: Yeah. Anyway, it is. Um, I think again, I think it's also about looking like one step further back again um and so we talk about entry points and it's i suppose given the scale and the urgency around all of this you know if we're talking about targets what it doesn't matter if it's 2030 or 2040 or 2050 that's not much time no matter which way like that we carve it up and um we need like to look at all elements of it and as a as a collection and a system of different skills that might then start to um, agitate each other as well. So what I'm kind of thinking of is, you know, we have, um, we had this really interesting coffee morning at my school the other day, and it was about energy in the lead up to the fact that everybody was about to get absolutely shafted with their energy bills. Um, and there was only mothers present at that coffee morning and all of whom weren't, most of whom weren't working, certainly none of whom were working full time. Um, and, uh, but they were all the ones carrying the burden and the concern about how they were going to budget and manage and also how they were understanding their systems. And in my mind, I'm just thinking like, this is a point here, right here, where these people understand how the household system works, ahead of you, how, how they, what they need to do, where the pressure points are, how they budget it, um, uh, for it and all this uh, oncoming change. But also what was what was interesting was there was a com- really varied level of understanding of how their heating system worked, how much control they had over it, which things were cost- more costly to run than not, how many people had a smart meter, like all that sort of stuff. And it's almost like it's like having those conversations and delivering knowledge and information at that level Um, which then infiltrates beyond that. And it gets in, like I always say this, like revolution starts in the home, like it's in there and getting the knowledge into the places where people actually put the stuff to work. Like, you know, and I think Alex told us an anecdote about how he tried to, Alex is our other co-host that you've not met, but he tried to like change or adjust his granny's thermostat in the house was very nearly caused a massive family fallout because his granny was like, you touch that, it might break. And if that thermostat breaks, my boiler is gone. I can't afford, you know, it's that, it's that fragile moment because like you've touched on earlier, both Leah and Joe, like who actually understands how these systems work. And we all have these oversized boilers and they're not running efficiently and none of us know. And like, yeah, it's, um, it's getting the education and understanding in there and then seeing the importance of, of getting those things working right. And then that becoming more commonplace and, that having a spin-off in and of in itself about like, oh, well, maybe these jobs and these roles are quite important. And maybe I could become like a climate champion within my community, or yeah. sorry, an energy champion within my community. And maybe then through funded roles of um communication in your in your community, you know, maybe the local government and local councils have some money to pay people for mornings' worth of work of talking to other people about these things. And it starts to build, you know those sorts of of roles and liaisons within communities as well which i think is also really important yes the skilled trades of actually installing is good but you know people got to see the value in it and see what it gives them and why it it's important and why it matters
3: i, mean, I do i mean i do agree I, th- I think it does need that kind of grass, grassroots level intervention really and and the knowledge being passed down i think i think where it's gone wrong is that uh, you know, the market hasn't successfully um, made it easy for someone to, to to swap out a control with another control and for it to work the boiler as efficiently as possible. So there's there's an enormous fog around heating controls and an enormous anxiety, I think, around people touching them or touching their boilers. I mean, just doing that lower the flow temperature piece, you know, you, you get into the minutiae of um, of of people feeling um very anxious all the barriers you know um, it's not going to work i i think mine sort of set it up efficiently enough uh you know all these thoughts that go through people's head that, that basically stop them stop them doing it um and there's a mixture of um equipping someone with the knowledge and the confidence to, to make those changes but also correcting market failures that this stuff is not so complicated that they don't they feel so worried about it you know and the market failures are are enormous we have incompatibility issues with around around controls um and we also have software companies like nest and you know a lot of those sort of home automation centers that don't know anything about heating they just turn it on and off you know so there's this huge integration gap um and someone thinks they've done the right thing actually it's not the right thing um so yeah how you marry those two things up is is the sort of the ground that needs closing on it
5: Could, can i just ask a couple of questions and, and the are you know, probably daft daft questions. But I think there is there's a public perception on a lot of those control systems like Nest and um various different um controllers. Because I think there's a there's an opinion that that those are really that those will provide a really efficient heating system. So so that, that, that's a that's a first off. And the second one is a wee bit more controversial. But given given that we inevitably will have to move to electric heating, and there's there's no question we will I suppose what powers that's been debated in the last few days. But do we have the skill set just now to make that transition? Do we have? I think I read the figure. There's seventy thousand gas engineers, gas safe engineers in the UK. Are as as that group of engineers does? Do they have the right skills to install um, heat pumps? Are heat pumps different from boilers? Is there a compensation that boilers potentially have that that, that makes it easier to install them badly, but for, for them to work? So. Could you give us a kind of a precede in terms of the controllers and the skills in the market?
3: Well, I think I think gas engineers, so the, the problems with gas engineers at the moment is that the gas safe registration doesn't touch on boiler efficiency in any way or, or heating system efficiency or design in any way. So it's only around the gas safe um, aspect of it. Um, and nor do they really touch upon during their training process, um Low temperature system. So essentially, a gas boiler—it could should really be a low temperature system, and the same as a heat pump. And, it, and if we'd had that understanding over the last 17 years, since condensing gas boilers became mandatory, then installers would have a really good knowledge of how low temperature systems work, how to size the radiators, how to size the pipework, how to use weather compensation, all the things that are absolutely necessary for heat pumps. But that is missing. So they're still setting them up like a non-condensing boiler. We've still got 80-degree flow temperatures. Um, you know, it all gets hot, and basic on-off controls, and, and away we go so that's that's the kind of deficit I guess in it currently I think we're going to have another 15 years of gas boilers Bays have said we've got 15 million more gas boilers that will be fitted before they're banned in 2035 I mean it's not too late to get good better at gas and I think we have to parallel understanding heat pumps and understanding low temperature gas systems together and and that transition becomes much easier then actually if if installers are going in now and setting up systems and upsizing radiators not prematurely replacing the boiler using that money to to make the radiators bigger or understanding the controls looking at the boiler which actually advanced set of controls will work with this boiler and just trying to understand that but but at the same time they're unsupported in that the industry has not prioritized any of that learning at any point um so they are floundering really so even when they have that knowledge actually they struggle to find customers that will listen to them <laughs> that the, 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 the prevailing wisdom contradicts what they're saying in the home yeah. so they're up against another barrier um yeah so i i, I think the, the knowledge is beginning to there's a seed of that there but it needs expanding and i and i, and I do think just to make one last point, I mean, I do think that if we could really package up that career progression of not just beyond the pipework, you know, what's the design, what's the hydronics, what's the physics, you know, actually that would be really, really appealing to a lot more people.
5: See, that's really interesting because I think we, collectively, Rachel, Diane, myself, Sarah and, and, and Jeff and Alex are not here. So I think we we cover things from a similar background in the sense, a similar um End goal, in the sense that we want to design the fabric element of homes better. That there's a there's a there's a precise nature of how we have to put things on a building to make it work as as well as we can. But what you said is really interesting because I think if you asked a hundred people on the high street, does Gas Safe give you does is Gas Safe a badge of quality for design? They probably say yeah, of course it is. And that's just the, that's that's the most basic concept that you've just kind of exploded there to say well, I'm actually just working with a gas pipe, it's not it's not about design. Sorry, yeah. Lee.
1: No, no, no. I just want to agree with Joe. We're, we're conflating two transitions into the one, and it's creating an awful lot of confusion. Um, and if I were Bayes, I would be really pushing the low temperature heating first because it's the gateway. Mm. If you've got gas boiler engineers who know how to do low temperature heating, being a heat pump's a doddle. Mm. You know, there's a bit more faffing about outside, and you've got to, you know, make a decent base for the heat pump. and. Put some pipes outdoors and not leave the walls all leaky. But you know, it's the actual design part is all around the low temperature heating. So we could be gradually stepping gas boiler engineers, whereas instead we're saying, right, learn how to put heat pumps. And they're not going, and they're going from A to C and missing B out. And then, and then the heat pump works hideously, and the customer's cold because they haven't done all the things that they should have done to make the the system compatible with low temperature heating. So um, it's a real, it's a real own goal, especially because the low temperature heating saves money in a way that right now installing a heat pump doesn't. It, it's, it's utter madness. Um,
4: yeah, it's crackers.
0: Here's hoping that bays are listening and your invitation to join their next select committee or whoever's invited. <laughs> right. because this is so refreshing. Like to me, I you've just managed to like take a great um, amount of sort of anxiety and 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 you know sort of hair pulling out of you know a thought process like this sort of sensible well it's a step change actually and this is how the process and this i love being hearing people talk about it in a way that is like yeah you could call it complicated but also follow the logic like, and here are some steps. And this is how you do it. And you don't have to like suddenly just throw the baby out of the bathwater and make everybody panic. Anybody who's been in the industry for 10, 15 years thinking they had another 15 years, but somebody's saying they're not valid anymore because they don't know how to install a heap of. And you're sort of talking about it in ways that are like, oh, yeah this is how you would do that. Here is a plan of action that actually includes quite a lot of people and can get other people in and can bring public understanding from a level that they sort of mm. maybe understand rather than from a complete point of non, no information. I think um, I'd love to like hear that discussed more.
3: Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's about the transition for households. Everyone has a little mini transition, haven't they? We've all got to make that journey to net zero. Um, and it's not about trying to swallow an elephant. And I think that's what really puts people's head in the ground, you know. That's too scary to think about and too expensive. Um, but actually, if I've got a little action plan going along, um, that is also reducing my carbon footprint because as Leah says, you run a gas boiler at a low temperature system, the efficiency goes that way. It's converse, the lower the flow temperature, the higher the efficiency. Um, and twice this week on Twitter. I've put some stuff up around that, and two people have come back and said, "My my installer told me to keep it at seventy degrees or seventy-five degrees. That's the most efficient. And if the return temperature is at sixty degrees, then I'm doing really well. And, and, and it's like the complete opposite of of what it should be. And, and that and that is, you know, <laughs> that's the distortion. That, that that's that, that's where it's going wrong. The installers have the entirely opposite set of information that they should have and working to." Um, and they're passing on that on to consumers, and consumers are like, but I've heard this from this person and that from that person, and that now I don't know who to believe.
0: You know. No, uh, I mean, we're really always interested in, in in the heat pump ready argument because so many comments have been thrown around, like, oh, every building is heat pump ready, and I think somebody I can't remember who we interviewed was like, yeah, you could heat a tent with a heat pump, it doesn't mean that you should. It would cost you like. Yes. But i mean it sounds like you know we've done it as well we've like been reducing our our temperature as well our flow temperature our boiler, whether or not that's um how we manage with it and actually we manage quite well with it and um so i suppose this is part of a message like it almost feels like it should be a public service broadcast like this is what you should do with your boiler and this is how you should not be afraid of your boiler and then that maybe starts people asking the question and understanding is their home heat pump ready, which is, I don't know, I think maybe Dan, you might've had a question, but I'd like to talk a little bit more about homes being heat pump ready and what advice well, you have.
4: What I was thinking was it's tangentially related. Well, maybe even directly, like it's, it, it's more system design that's incompetent. So you're talking about sort of macro economic system that's geared towards more consumption. So this switch to heat pumps, it's not about necessarily delivering benefit. It's driven economically because people see opportunity in it. Like it's, you know, big companies are sweeping in. Octopus, for example, they may be sweeping in with the noblest of intentions. But corporations like them, they're not going to be swallowing the, they're not going to be reaching for the high-hanging fruit. They're going for the low-hanging fruit. Like, and you know, I can be critical of them if I like, but that is the economic reality, and that is what is driving them. So like the low-hanging fruit that subsidized the more costly, difficult work that needs to be done is being ignored. And then you've got this consumption-driven economic waste. So, like you were talking about scrapping boilers, unnecessarily and prematurely, because systemically the grid can't support this switch to pure electric-driven heating. Like, it's just not possible. So really, we need to be looking about reduction. So then you're talking about systemic failures within education. So the design of the system doesn't work. So you're talking about within heating engineering circles, this polluted discourse, which doesn't work because it leaves people uninformed. I mean, it's the same throughout the whole retrofit industry. Like, it's really difficult to get a handle on, on what works. Um, so, I mean, how do we mitigate that? It was interesting, Nathan today was talking about uh, people who engage with his heating course. He sets up communities. Uh, So Nathan Gamble and beta talk, I can't remember whether we mentioned him earlier or it was on the the pre-podcast. But, uh, yeah, he gets his engineers who go through his training systems talking together in little communities. And they become, I can't remember exactly how it works, but they get ranked. By how much they contribute to the discourse and the discourse is they're supporting one another it's communicated amongst themselves about the work that they do so they can learn from one another which is a paradigm that's traditionally attributed to women rather than men because uh, in patriarchal circles it's you know diktat, diktat, dominance and certainty that tend to prevail but he seems to be developing a system which Works quite differently, um, but yeah. Anyway, I was just wondering, how do we overcome heavy duty system design?
5: Can I question off, off the back of that? Because because it sounds as if there's so many things that are structurally problematic. That and and I know that everyone last when I talk about the market, sound like some old Marxist, which I kind of probably am in some way. But anyway. But, if it's if it's if it's so broken, you then need to have some form of state intervention. I don't mean state intervention about coming into your home, but do you have the? You know, one of the things we're talking about here just now is that step change. And I think what, from looking at some of the work you've done and looking at the type of um, service you offer, as part of that change, to just do an evaluation about how perhaps your home could become heat pump ready through a first phase. The heat, the, the carcass, the the um, the central heating, not the boiler, but actually the radiators or the flow temps, or how it's designed, is that something that I suppose government could get involved in, and people like yourself could be part of that, where you you do an initial assessment that says like some you know some quick wins here that takes you on a pathway for a heat pump at some stage in the next ten years, but here's something that actually contributes to, you know to to the to the debate just now, but it will provide a platform to 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 move the heat pump and, and save you money in the meantime?
3: Um, yes, and we are kind of, we are doing that um, in the sense that we, we provide these roadmaps for for consumers. Um, although it does come back to something you mentioned earlier. Um, so we provide a roadmap. So we look at the heat loss of the house. Um, we look at the energy that they use. Um, we look at the peak demand, um, which is just a heat loss calculation that you would carry out anyway as part of that process. Um, and then we give them a sort of independent audit of their existing system. So what can they do quickly to decarbonise? And that might be moving to uh, electric hot water, you know, taking your gas off the hot water system, um, fitting solar PV, it making your gas boiler more efficient. So if you can reduce your kilowatt hours by 10 percent by fitting the right heating control, then that is a valid move. You know, it's it's not it's not dramatic. It's not dramatic. Um, you know, it's not sexy, but it is it's really important. And uh, so, I think it's yeah. I think we, we kind of are already doing that on a, on a small scale, but it, I mean, obviously we have capacity issues. And, and how is then how do you scale that up? And I think you're right. It does need to be a, a national campaign. It needs to have everybody behind it. But you've got incumbents that are not really that interested. Their their business models are not set up to do that their that are set up to sell a boiler um and then what they want to do now is sell a heat pump you know so they just want to try and convert over what they already do into a different format um so it's it's how do you make a you know a viable business model We have to accept that they're going to make a profit um out of doing the right thing by householders and and it, so it's really scaling scaling that as a principle as a business model um that that needs to change alongside i think I think consumers need data now. You know, they need mm. information. They um, they've had a lot of confusing information. What they need is a single source of information that is credible, that is backed by um, statistics and and research. And and this is what you do. Um, and and they and they feel that they can go along with that. That and that would help them make those small te- step changes as well.
2: Sorry. Dear. No, I was
1: only going to say we we do already have um, a document that every house when it's sold and i think every house that's rented out needs to have that allegedly talks about the energy efficiency of the building uh, everyone's nodding it's an energy performance certificate um and there are all so, yeah let's
2: well let's let's not
1: <laughs> let's not go into them because there are all kinds of problems with them two problems that are relevant here is one there's no rating for whether you're gas boiler system is running efficiently Mm -hmm. it's all about just the badge on the on the gas boiler and that is taken to be the efficiency that your gas boiler is running with so that's that's something that that could be changed there could be like a universal standard of how that was actually assessed the efficiency of your heating system as opposed to the badge efficiency of your boiler the other thing they need to fix is that because it's based on energy cost rather than co2 Um, If you put a heat pump in, your EPC rating goes down.
3: Yeah. They've talked about uh, changing that, haven't they? Because it was the same timber
1: electric boilers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's obviously, we know there's loads of problems with energy performance certificates. But the first thing that I said, you know, just changing it to a a heating system efficiency thing feels like a relatively easy fix.
3: Yeah, that's true, actually. And I think if that gave guidance around radiator sizes and just some very basic principles of of condensing gas boiler technology, then... um, it would start to raise
5: awareness. But it, it, it seems sorry, Sarah. It seems to me as if, you know, and Sarah and I have a conversation, we don't we don't have time for, I suppose, an organic market to take us there, <laughs> which, which would which would over time happen. And it, and and this is sounding like Russell Smith, because Russell Smith has been on about a retrofit, a nationwide retrofit strategy, and 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 we've been talking about the potential for um Sort of government-backed entities, not-for-profit entities at a regional level that could promote that. Because it strikes me, what we need is for for companies like yours to do assessments at scale,
4: yeah,
5: and not to be organically implemented by people like us who are interested in it, yeah, but to be offered to everyone as part of the step change.
3: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I do agree and we and we, and we do talk to Bays, and you know we're very active about that we've made representations around the building regs you know we absolutely want it to be better um, talking to Bays, talking to Nesta, um, you know trying to engage with those organisations that we think can apply some pressure and and sort of shape a future uh, but it's got to get pushed up the policy chain hasn't it on a government basis and, that, and I think that's where the barrier seems to be it's um becomes sticky at that point and it also means admitting that everything's quite wrong and do they want to admit that you know what we done for <laughs> the last 10
0: years you know it's a really interesting um it's a really interesting one isn't it because we we were th- myself and dave were talking this morning about um Oh, you know, just need to, like the government needs to start doing some like, you know, public service announcements about how you can improve, like, you know, like what you're talking about, really, you know, little bits of information, (laughs) which seems like the cruelest thing not to just be open and, and delivering. But it is, it does admit, it admits all of their problems and airs dirty laundry, even though Boris Johnson is happy enough to say that the cause of the energy crisis is through past mistakes of previous governments, Nobody else is pointing out, oh, what all all Tory? No, that's not striking you as something that you should be uh, admitting. But I'll park uh, my uh, cynicism for a moment. Um, But I think, can you imagine the revolution that it would be for every household to have um, a whole house assessment of their building to hand so that you know, whatever your EPC, take it or leave it. But if you had knowledge of how your building was retaining or losing heat, how effective and efficient your heating system was, as you point out, not just how efficient that piece of a kit on the wall is according to when it was sold to you. Um, And then that allows you to match that with a phased plan, depending on how your circumstances change, how the political landscape changes, how the grant funding systems change, how all of that changes. And you can apply that directly because you understand completely how your building works. And that That is something that I believe should be funded by the government for every single household, whole house assessment, including your heating systems, the whole lot. How does that living, breathing thing work right now so that you know when you can and when you should and when you want to do anything to it, where the right place to push any kind of action should be and then where the next bit should be once that's done and the next bit, because it's an iterative thing, isn't it, you know? it's too, far too high an expectation to think that there's like some silver bullet here that's going to solve it all. It won't. But nobody likes to do that sort of, nobody wants to put the money into, mm. when I say nobody, I mean, the government doesn't want to put any money into doing that assessment stuff because it doesn't look like you're doing anything. I mean, it's the it's the absolute core base need before we have anything like that is to understand your building stock before you try and do stuff to it. I think, Rachel. Mm.
2: I, I think that's one of one of the main problems isn't it is that you know when we talk about step change that doesn't sound sexy to the government they want to be able to say we've got this fancy new technology that's going to solve everyone's problems um but part of me wonders like what would the trigger be and whether or not the epc could be used um as a sort of mechanism for making this sort of evaluation that you start to talk about joe um come into play so on every epc you've got your where you are right now and where you potentially could be but the information about how you get from one to the other and how accurate those are is, is is really lacking so you know you have to have an EPC when you sell your house so what if that was the trigger and you know in order to sell your house you need to have one of these studies done to show how in real steps you could get to that point and I don't know whether or not that's the sort of market solution that the government could mandate that would start to get this rolling a bit more um, without then having to pay for it themselves because I think that that's ideally what we'd want, but I just think it's probably out of reach considering the the type of government that we have in, but whether or not it could be a sort of linked to the sale of a property, I don't know. I,
3: I think yeah. I think one of the things that we come across quite a lot is someone being reluctant to invest in their home and they're about to sell it, or we're moving in two years. You know, so there's a very short-term cycle thinking quite often around making that investment. And I just, I just wonder whether if if the EPC was tied to sort of tax breaks or something like that. So if you carried out these measures on your home that we know because we've assessed it um, uh, could um, improve the efficiency, and when you've done those, that sort of part of your tax record I don't know but I think there has to be a carrot there and it has to be tied to some value or other and it has to be something that transitions with the home you know the value kind of transitions with it so you you get the extra value back because you've done the works um the person buying it does the same and then everybody does the same and it sort of passes on so I think it's got to be bigger than just advice again it comes back to this thing of just not giving out advice because advice doesn't work it has to be um you know, a, a practical application of, of that advice somehow or some way of making that happen.
1: One thing I've often wondered is if um, you've you had the experience recently of going through a mortgage application, one of the things that you, one of the hurdles you have to jump over is an affordability test, right? So they ask you how much you earn, what you spend on the cinema every month. Um, what if there was some agreed way of um, assessing what your bills were in the house that you're buying? So, what if, what if I was trying to buy Joe's house and I wasn't able to afford another house on Joe's street because the affordability criteria um, and the fact that the bills were really high meant that I couldn't get a mortgage on it, but I could get a mortgage on Joe's house because she had an efficient heating system. Mm-hmm. And so, I was able on the, my current salary to meet those affordability criteria. Now, I don't know how you can assess that, but it could be something. It could allow people to say, okay, my house has actually got more value because more people could get a mortgage on my yes. house because I've got solar panels on the roof and my bills are you know virtually well, we've we've
4: got be something like having- that incoming with the the uh is it the EPC? Yeah, EPC because I, I was talking to our building manager the other day about so like uh, as a side project, I'm trying to theorize how to how to retrofit a leasehold block. A peculiarly English problem, but like a real challenge all the same, you know, because you've got a real weird mix of tenants, uh, owner, occupiers, renters, landlord stock, uh, people who don't want to invest. And then you've got your, your your freeholder as well, who needs to be brought on board, who it's their building in essence, uh, but they won't want to invest in it because there's no incentive for them to make it more energy efficient Blah, blah, blah. Like, how do you, how do we overcome any of that stuff to get things moving? Now, the EPC stuff that's coming in, that's going to change things in a couple of years' time. Because, like, I asked him, what does he reckon this building's going to be? And he said, oh, well, most of the properties in this block, they're going to be D at best. Like, uh, if they can make that. Well, what's that going to do? Well, that's going to mean that, say, what, two, uh, 40% of the properties in this block are owned by people who let it out. They're going to want to get shot because what are they going to do? They're going to invest like however much in a, a property to deep retrofit it up to a sufficient standard. Why are you going to do that in a block like this where really the measures need to be taken holistically? Because you can't just do a block like this piecemeal. It needs to be managed oh, man, all right, so then you get Blackstone or equivalent come in. They buy up all the remaining assets, and then they rent them out, much as they're doing with buying up great swathes of new developments so they can lease them out, buying stuff at a premium so they can knock it out uh, and create passive income, guaranteed income for pension funds. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, if you go back to Leah's point about understanding though, like what you do and how affordable it is, it's got to be about, yeah, I don't know quite what's I, I don't know quite what's coming in the changes to EPC um and ha- what data is included, in it, other than Bayes and M- MHCLG were supposedly having it all overhauled by the end of last year, which obviously well, I think we've seen that hasn't happened. But it's if you understand the energy use intensity and the form of fuel that you are using so you know what your unit cost is and you know how much of it you're using or the building is using and how you as a home system are using it that that's that's stuff we can do now like we know how to do this stuff now we know how to apply those technologies we could you know you're not going to get a wholesale swap out of anything because nobody likes to do that but you could start to add layers to you know your epc that shows that data and then understand how affordable that home is, not on the basis of how it currently works on on costs, but how it works on units of energy that you're using.
4: That sounds well complicated, though, like thinking in terms of an ordinary consumer. Like to you, an architect, yeah, straight up, easy. Building physics, I got it. But me, I'm a UX guy. I do words and stories and nonsense like that. Like a lot of the time, even on this podcast, I haven't a clue what people are talking about. i look at <laughs> some of the charts that Duncan sends to me. It's like, what am I even, what is this? Like, what should I be understanding from that? If there's a point to it, just write the point. Uh, but that's
0: it. That's what I mean. I don't, it, the, the language and the, and, the, and the labels and stuff that we're using are probably, yeah, not out there in common parlance. However understanding how much heat is lost through something and how well it is at retaining that heat and it turning into ultimately an energy use intensity per meter squared per annum, whatever you could give that a really simple name you could do that it's not that it's what's complicated is that it's you know language within an industry that isn't used to sharing but you change you change that that language and you turn it into something that is but the point is that capturing that information we could do that. We can do that really easily. We just don't do that because it's not lining the pockets of those making the decisions, frankly. When you get back
4: to systemic consumption being the driver of all things. Uh, yeah. and that's a that's a big problem.
5: I, I just wonder, because I think I think the work that you guys do I've said in the chat, I think, you know, I think we need to look at some national agency that that partners with local companies to, to provide that assessment. But I suppose how much easier would your life be, uh, or, or how much easier would life be in general, is, in terms of consumers understanding heat pumps, if we had some dissemination of information at a national level? If we had some online 12 hour course, yeah, that it was you know multiple choice that, that gave people the basic tools, the basic toolkit to understand, right? What is Sarah and I when you're talking about. You know, to myself, or Rachel talking about thermal bridging or, or, or things?" Just to get a basic understanding of what it is, they have to ask their builder or their retrofit company. But similarly, how we put that into how we put that into the design of, of heating system, because most people have no idea. A gas boiler sits in the kitchen or in their in their sort of utility room, and it just works. And there's pipes coming out of it, and that's about it. And you know, I, I suppose. Is it about educating consumers as much as educating people who are installing stuff?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we spend so much time when we're selling a heat pump, explaining to people how the heating works. Um, They have so many questions. Uh, I guess we're at that stage of the market where it is still early adopters, and we're having to take them on that journey right the way from, I mean, some of our customers, we, we might ask them to send us a picture of their hot water cylinder and, they don't really know what that is or you know they call it the boiler there's there's that's that's the level of knowledge that some people have and um we would happily just sell sell them a heat pump and then explain to them that actually it probably just runs best if you leave it alone to be honest but there's that never really works <laughs> and there's always there's always myriad myriad questions and we take we take people on Quite a long journey, and, you know. And Joe's going through that process with, with people as as well. And so, yeah. And I often feel, I think, because we're the way we're set up, we are a social enterprise, and we have this kind of ethical goal. And so, I think we ha- we automatically seem to gain an awful lot of trust from our customers. But I often find myself saying things that I'm kind of saying it, and then I'm saying, if I was listening to this, I'd be going, "Well, you would say that, wouldn't you? You're trying to sell me a heap." <laughs> Often our customers don't actually say that, but in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, because I mean, Joe will agree that having a low temperature heating system actually makes your house 100% more comfortable. And I lived with a heat pump for 18 months before I got round to getting one of our plumbers to change the radiators. And I would totally, totally agree that large radiators on low and slow and constantly much more comfy for your house. But I'm telling customers this. Now, wouldn't it be much better if that came from an independent Mm. source of advice? Because, yeah, some people are going to be cynical and go, yeah, well, of course Leah's going to say that. She's trying to sell
4: me a heat pump." So what do your – do you do any uh, post-occupancy, any analysis of the people who – your clients, once you've delivered the job, do you do any research or analysis or feedback to find out how they describe the benefits? because this is like as a UX guy, and this relates directly to a project Alex and I are working on with regard to non-systemic chronic treatment for chronic pain, where uh, non-opioid treatment, like the best advocates are other patients, not Mm. doctors, not GPs, and like trying to find ways to put those people in touch with one another. So they do the advocacy work for us. Don't take it from me, take it from them a fellow sufferer or a fellow benefiter like whatever the right way of saying that would be we only we only did the workshop yesterday so we'll get to it but like do you do any research to pull that sort of information out uh like to so find out what they think no <laughs> I'd love to say it.
1: we had time yeah it's on on my list of stuff to do is to get some some good customer case studies but yeah, Joe, do you do you go back to your? I mean, we go back and service and we chat to them, but nothing more structured than that.
3: Yeah, I mean we have we have our um trust pilot reviews, which love them, I hate them. Um trust pilot, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're a <laughs> very good resource for uh because and they do tend to leave some very lengthy um um notes on their experience, which is which is great. Uh but no, we haven't done post stuff, but actually we we hope to be working on something with UCL on this and just looking at um, the interventions that we that we make on gas boilers, h- how much it improves um, improves the efficiency of the boiler, but because it's UCL, they also look at the qualitative data around comfort and you know and and what changed. And I think historically they found that efficiencies bring greater comfort because they, you actually change at how you live there a bit. Um, do you think well, I can have the boiler on longer? So for people that are vulnerable or in fuel poverty, um, it, it can be a real game changer so i've gone off subject a bit but um no, not but, at all. Uh, so the short answer is kind of no um i haven't
4: done uh well no you stayed right on point there because what what i was looking for was just what you described people who uh are suffering from inadequate heating in the home or have a systemic change to the heating within the home. what benefits do they perceive and how do they talk about them and you first thing you mentioned is comfort And comfort is something I've been very dubious about because people don't expect to be comfortable in their own homes in the UK. We expect to suffer and put up with the cold and wear more layers, you know. Uh, And comfort is very much a preserve of the middle and upper classes because they have access to the capital, which enables them to make their homes more comfortable and the the revenue streams, which enable them to heat them adequately. Yeah, it's, uh, no, you were right on point.
1: Yeah, to honor. yeah, just a very quick point that um, might just bring us back to the earlier topic about diversity. Um, I don't know if Joe's experienced this uh, very, as well, um, but quite often when I go and do a sales visit with a customer, I feel like I'm talking to the intermediary, um, i.e. the husband. So uh, there is very often a, yes, We would. I would really love to install the heat pump, but I'm going to have to go and convince my wife. So, you know, my question then is: Would you like me to meet your wife? <laughs> like, why am I talking to you?
4: <laughs> well, that feeds directly back to what Sarah was saying about the, having coffee the other morning with the the, the economic decision makers—the people with uh, the the purchasing power within the home. They might not be the people who are who have the the overarching uh, economic power, if you will. But they're the ones who are the instigators and the change makers, in it. And it's the so comfort.
1: That's a, that's it's an the comfort so, angle. Yeah, yeah so the comfort they, angle. Will
5: my wife be warm enough? Yeah. So, so yeah, this yeah. is exactly the pl- place I was in a year ago, and actually, and so I had to, you know, my, my my wife was saying, oh, you know, to to be convinced, so I had to get Thomas Novak to write to me, telling telling us how Thomas Novak is the president of the European Heat Pump Association. It's a really nice guy. To t- say. <laughs> By the way, there's 5 million heat pumps in Europe. Don't worry. It's not new technology. I had to get Thomas to write his. To she still didn't. She was like that. I want to see it. We
0: possibly. should photocopy that letter
5: and just do a mass <laughs> mail shot.
0: It's the other end of the, the spectrum bit where there's no time or money for that data collection of like post-occupancy evaluation, which is why loads of clients um on bigger projects don't fund it because it costs money and, and they're really convinced of the value that it brings yet because it didn't look like much yet. But um but there is value in it, much like there is value at the other st- side of the assessment first bit. So the understanding on both ends of the busy stuff, you know, like understanding, you know, what are you dealing with and then at the end, how successful was that? Um, but I think the thing that is so amazing about all of this is the amount of stress that's coming for people because they're like, how far can I push myself before I treat myself to a bit of heating, right? And so your body gets like shut down and you get like all tense and all the rest of it and possibly end up pulling a muscle or whatever it is that happens. you get yourself into all sorts of dire straits before you treat yourself to a bit of heating, which you blast on with your inefficient boiler at such a high heat that actually then makes the space kind of not so comfortable. And then you put yourself through the the position of like living through the cooling of that, but you know you're going straight back into discomfort whereas if we understood that it wasn't going to cost you any more and possibly cost you less to keep it on low and slow so that you could like take that layer of stress out of your life i mean this is also intangible it's really really hard to use that as a selling piece for any kind of government to say you know get behind this but that's why all that stuff is important and also valuing comfort and being able to stand up for that right for everybody in this country is something that people should have as a given, you know, not as they're nice to have. Um, so it's really interesting, isn't it, to think about, like, how those things are probably going to be the game-changing moments in how we actually see the sea change, you know, happen. Um, and, yeah, it would be great to, like, follow that learning that maybe comes with UCL and how that's quantified and how that's shared. Yeah.
3: I think they need, or what Bayes has said to me, at least at the the technical level, not a policy level, is that they need evidence, you know, they need evidence of this, but actually there's quite a lot of evidence out there. I mean, they've written papers on this for over a decade and that condensing boilers are not... A-rated in the home, there was 83% in a particular study were C-to-E rated. You now, this is not new information, but I think there's probably always a reluctance for government to step in in a sort of nanny-ish way or perceived nanny-ish way and start doling out advice when they would rather the market did it for them. But, that, I mean, that just hasn't happened. So I think there is collecting up all this good practice that is just evidenced already and packaging it up into some, some simple steps and a simple campaign, um, and then asking the market to sort itself out and, and work to it, you know, it's almost there's the standard. Um, because building control hasn't done it either. Building regs are, are nowhere near either. And Successive rounds of uplifts of building regs. Um, and, it's, and it's no better. Um, so I, I think it does need a campaign if they can not be squeamish about stepping in and, and doing that. And, and, and You know, the hand space, space sort of level of of discussion Um around heating systems and and the transition it's very simple terms
4: yeah well i mean the problem is that inefficiency in the market is more profitable always in the same way processed food is the most profitable kind of food Mm. like it that's how it works that's that's the prevailing economic system and how we have to interact with it And we don't get a lot of choice about that i mean that's this is one of the few benefits of uh benefit is the wrong word just before anyone thinks of stepping on me like what's happened with Russia and Ukraine like it is forcing a reappraisal of the the landscape and people are suffering anyway and the suffering is going to get worse like it's appalling what's happening like the tales Duncan was telling us last year before energy prices have doubled like it's shocking like perhaps this might precipitate some sort of higher level change but who knows
1: I was just going to steal somebody's comment that I read on Twitter the other day, which was kind of very apt. And they said, "Are we coming towards a world where middle-class people sit there comp- comparing on Twitter how much output their solar panels have produced and how much energy has been stored in their battery, where are, are, you know people are, are kind of with lower incomes are sitting there wondering whether they need to put on another jumper before they can turn on the heating?" You know, it's it's. Unfortunately, yeah, I mean, I'll say unfortunately, our inquiries are going through the roof. We yeah, we were busy already. We're now absolutely maxed out. Everybody who's got any spare money is asking for, for solar panels. It's brilliant, but it doesn't help people who are in fuel poverty.
2: I think fundamentally we always end up going back to inequality and the fact that, like, there are people that have the means to get themselves in a position where, the energy crisis will not affect them in the same way. Um, And then there are people that don't have the means to do that. And it feels like in this country, it's almost people have kind of accepted the fact that we have this massive level of inequality. So I think all the time it's looking at solutions that work for people that have their own means and work for people that don't have their own means to sort it out. And those things need to come in parallel and theoretically you would think that both things could mesh together and support one another if there were sort of you know if it was done at a large enough scale it brings down the price for everyone um in order that you can then upgrade you know more homes but i i'd yeah i'd obviously bringing up inequality probably at the in the last few minutes of a podcast is probably not the best idea ever because it's such a wide and hard to solve slash is it possible to solve hopefully issue but i think we always end up getting there
4: yep always uh i, I think haven't talked as year... housing as assets for a change like uh that's been quite pleasing but duncan got his marxism in there earlier yeah,
2: yeah i accidentally <laughs> did say property earlier but i shouldn't i should have said homes
4: uh... I, <laughs> yeah, Out of right
0: I think though if we can have more of the kind of Common sense, solution based discussion that both Joe and Leah have brought today. It's like definitely something that we can champion more and and share more around and like, um, yeah, sort of accelerate and highlight more of the work that you're doing to showcase it because that's another way of sharing the message, isn't it? Showing how successful it is, showing how it works, showing how it can be better is kind of what we we're talking about. Like you can advise or you can show. Here's how it's actually done. And and how it's actually happening. So I think yeah.
3: uh, I think is um I think with con- consumer knowledge as well and such an appetite for understanding efficiency and perhaps understanding the boiler. There's a sort of reverse training, isn't there, where the installer comes around and they're telling the installer the things that they know to be true around efficiency or around low temperature systems. And so the installer is a bit on the back foot really in this. But I it would hope that it would help him or her go away and you know and and try to. I understand those concepts rather than look a bit,
4: you know. Yeah, oh, I'll an answer, Martin You should give Martin Lewis a shout as well with your. i tried that if you know office.
3: him, Dan. <laughs> I have tweeted, a few people have tweeted him and said, Are, are you talking about this? Because he keeps talking about his toolbox being empty. And we're like, well, We've got a tool you can use, you know, if it help 15 million homes, you can do it today and some you can do it yourself. It's free. Um, but he hasn't picked up on it yet. I just imagine he's got a long list of.
0: um joe and leah thank you so much for your time today and i think we would love to invite you back um just to see how the landscape changes over the next sort of six months and just to reflect on on that and any kind of lessons learned that we can help promote because i think you know we forget that actually it's really important to um sorry my sister in law's dog has just decided to come up to the window and bark. <laughs> um yeah, I think we like to sort of sit to reflect on it because time is of the essence, or don't mm. want to just come back and talk talk about like, oh yeah, how's it going? like let's see where that that is changing it has to change, and we're gonna be heading into a really tough. Winter, so it would be good to sort of see how how things have have moved on and what progress has been made and what opportunities have come to light. So, will you come back and talk to us? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thanks for Yeah. yeah. Thank, you. Thank you so much.